Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. get into it just want to let you know that a bigger life is on twitter if you want to follow us at a bigger life pod on twitter you can find out when new releases of episodes anything else that we want to do that might be supplemental material to our podcast episodes and so you can follow us at a bigger life pod and also if you want to follow me dave cover on twitter as well I want to spend one more episode on Psalm 89. It's just a fascinating psalm, and I really I feel bad because I don't feel like I'm doing it justice, to be honest with you, in these episodes, because it really is a glimpse into the bigger story. For me, if you followed this podcast, you know that for me, understanding my life, seeing my life inside the bigger story is what motivates me to want to walk with God. It motivates me to resist temptation. It motivates me to fight the fight of faith, finish the race. All these kinds of things that make the Christian life hard become a lot easier when we see our life inside the bigger story. When we understand what's being told here in Psalm 89, we see the bigger story we've looked at, that God is the creator of this universe, that God has, we're part of this long story, this ancient story that is heading somewhere. We're part of a bigger story that is going to be fulfilled through this covenant promise that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And if you don't understand that promise that God made with David, you're really not going to understand the gospel in the New Testament because the New Testament is constantly coming back to this promise that God made with David. And it's one of the reasons why Jesus says, when he, after he rises from the dead, he tells his disciples, you know, I, in Luke 24, 44, I've told you this before, I'm going to say it again, that everything that was written about me in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when we look at the Psalms, we need to look for Jesus, and we need to find the bigger story that our life is in. It really is a fascinating thing for me. When I understand these Psalms written centuries before the birth of Jesus and how this been this conspiracy, not of people, but of the Holy Spirit, writing through human authors, writing things beyond their own knowledge, that's giving us a glimpse into this bigger story of what God is doing in human history, what God is doing in this world, what God is doing for his creation through this long story of all that God is for us and is going to accomplish for us through Jesus, the perfect human king, God himself, who came in this promise to David that we see in verse four, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. This promise of this forever king that's going to be a son of David and is going to be the fulfillment of the foreverness of God's story, God's promise for the earth. It's going to take us back to his promise, his declaration in Genesis 1, 26 of creating human beings in his image to reflect his glory and his love, to care for his creation, continue the work of his creation. All of that is fulfilled by Jesus taking back that promise on the part of humanity, being the perfect human king, and we reign with him, we are co-heirs with him, 
and we fulfill that declaration of day six in Christ. It really is a fascinating thing the more you get into what the Bible says all the way through the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament about this one story, ultimately about Jesus. Now, there's one more thing in Psalm 89 that's part of the bigger story, but it shows how the bigger story is bigger yet. It's bigger than just what we've been talking about. And I really haven't been talking about how these Psalms have been pointing to this. I've sort of skipped over these parts because I wasn't really quite sure how to get into it. I don't want to give a seminary lecture, but it is fascinating to see how the Bible is constantly pointing to this reality of angelic beings. Angelic's not even the right word. They're not really called angelic in the Old Testament. Sometimes they are, but other times they're called cherubim and seraphim. They're these mysterious spiritual beings that show that we're part of this bigger story, a drama that is taking place in the spiritual realm that is interacting with the physical earth, the physical realm, the human story. There are two parallel dramas happening side by side in the Bible. And the majority of the Bible is talking about the human drama as it relates to God's plan for humanity and the earth and a restored earth, a restored humanity in Christ. But there's another drama taking place parallel to this. Indeed, the human drama is taking place inside the other drama of the spiritual drama. And we see that here in Psalm 89, verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, Yahweh, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Now, when it's talking about the assembly of the holy ones, in this context, it's talking about these spiritual beings. Verse 6, for who in the skies can compare to Yahweh? Who among the heavenly beings is like Yahweh. Now that word heavenly beings in the Hebrew, it literally is sons of God. Who among the sons of God is like Yahweh? Now the reason why the translator said heavenly beings is because that's what the sons of God in the Old Testament are referring to. Verse seven, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts. When we've been reading this God of hosts, Lord of hosts, Yahweh, God of hosts, we've kind of been moving on. But that's, that host is always talking about this. Pres- God is, is surrounded by the presence of spiritual beings, an army of hosts, of spiritual beings that are carrying out his will. The council of the holy ones is elsewhere referred to as the divine council. These heavenly beings, it says in verse 6, are those who reside in the skies. And so the biblical worldview, there's a lot of mystery because, you know, there's a, the idea of in the skies and the heavens is where these spiritual beings reside. And it's just a way of saying they're invisible. They reside in a different dimension that interacts with this physical world. They appear sometimes, disappear other times. But it is part of the story that our lives are in. Even in the gospel, the very first pages of the Bible, an angel of the Lord, it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, appears to Joseph in a dream. And the words he says are, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
the key here is that Joseph was identified by the angel as the son of David. This, this son is going to fulfill this promise to David. So in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, this is a, Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah, who's a priest in Jerusalem. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, which is always what angels have to say when they appear. So there must be something about their presence beyond just being startled. This is after the conversation has begun. There's something about their presence that is obviously inspiring fear on the part of anyone who sees them. They always have to say, do not be afraid. So he says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which is this Hebrew word, Yeshua, Yahshua. He delivers. Yahweh delivers. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. That's what we are. We are descendants of Jacob. All who have the faith in Christ are descendants of Jacob. We, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So the announcement of the angel to Mary is about this son of David who's going to reign on Jesus's throne forever. This is the fulfillment of what we're reading even here in Psalm 89. It's the fulfillment of the covenant God makes with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Then in chapter 2 of Luke, and these are all Christmas story kind of things, and somehow we confine them to Christmas and we sort of separate them from the gospel that our life is in, the story that our life is in. And so in chapter 2, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds who were out in the field nearby Jerusalem, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Again, this is this idea of whenever the angels appear, people are terrified. There's something about their presence that is amazing and terrifying. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now listen to this. He says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the Christ. He's the, the king that was promised, this descendant of David who was promised. And so then he says, you know, this will be a sign. A woman's going to have a baby. Go, But this angel is announcing this son of David, and it's the angel announcing it. And it says then after that, it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host. This is that word again, Lord God of hosts. The heavenly host, these angels, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So these angels appeared, and they are praising God, the host of heaven. They're praising God for the son of David who's being born, the Messiah who's being born in the city of David. He's going to bring peace upon this earth. This is the larger story of the gospel, and angels are announcing it. Angels are involved in it. This drama is taking place as part of the spiritual drama that's happening in the spiritual realm. When the angel appears to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, 
It's this angel called Gabriel. Gabriel's the same angel that appears to Mary. And the angel Gabriel, which means God is my strength, he says this to Zechariah when he's going to announce the birth of John the Baptist before Jesus. He says, I am Gabriel, or Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. So this angel Gabriel that appears to Mary in Luke one twenty six appears to Zechariah in Luke one nineteen. We see that angel in the book of Daniel chapter 9. He appears to Daniel. This angel Gabriel that appears to Zechariah and appears to Mary, they read about this angel that had appeared to Daniel almost 500 years in the past in the Old Testament. This angel has a name, which is unusual. But this spiritual drama that's taking place, and I'm not going to get into it too much more, in the spiritual realm is something that our lives are still in. And so it helps me to realize that this bigger story that my life is in, I'm never alone. There is an angelic presence always around that we don't see. And so the Apostle Paul talks about the darker side of this. In Ephesians six twelve. he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Now, these are words that the New Testament uses to describe these spiritual beings that the Old Testament calls cherubim and seraphim, these rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we see that here in Psalm 89. I think we do. Uh, because you read in verse 9, it says, You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. Now, this is spelled different than the Rahab that we read about in the book of Joshua. It's, it's a, a mythical sea monster that represented chaos. And that's important because it's a, it's a, a poetic word picture that I think points to Satan and evil forces in the heavenly realm. You rule the raging of the sea. Remember that in Revelation 21, when it's talking about the new creation, the restored earth, it says there will not be any sea. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be oceans on the restored earth. The sea there represents evil and chaos. And there won't be. That's been removed from the new creation. So this is poetic language, but it's consistently throughout the Bible, poetic language that's referring to mysterious forces of evil in the spiritual realm. So you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Now, again, the reason I think this is talking about spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that Paul is talking about, because I think the Bible is referring to this when Paul's talking about the full scope of the gospel, the full scope of what Christ has done, this son of David. Paul says in Colossians 1.19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about Jesus the human, God's all God's fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then he will say in chapter 2, verse 15, having disarmed 
the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, these powers and authorities he's talking about is Paul's words for these spiritual beings in the spiritual realm. So through this promised king on the throne of David, this forever king, the Bible talks in past tense of future events. And the Bible talks that way in the Old Testament because this is a future event in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But the Bible also talks this way in the New Testament because it's an already not yet kind of thing. Christ has already risen from the dead. The new creation has already started, but it is not yet completed. But we see this again, if we think about it in these terms, when you read Psalm 89, verse 9, you rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. So this is going with the idea of reconciling all things, whether on earth or in heaven, having triumphed over them by the cross. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Our lives are in that context. We're never alone. We're part of this bigger story. And it helps me to realize that my life is always about this bigger story, and it's always unfolding in the presence of this spiritual drama. When I'm dealing with temptation, I'm never alone. When I'm dealing with doubt, I'm never alone. When I'm fighting the fight of faith, I'm never alone. It's not just the presence of God. It's the presence of this spiritual drama that is all around me. And the, the Bible talks about it a lot. I'm not going to keep doing it because I didn't, like I said, I didn't want this episode to become a seminary lecture on angels. But this psalm, when it's talking about then, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. It's not just talking about the physical universe. It's talking about the spiritual beings in the heavenly places, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare to the Lord? And who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Now, again, the Lord there is Yahweh. It's what the name, the name of God, and it's translated Lord for lots of reasons we're not going to get into now. Verse 7, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him, O Lord, God of hosts. Now you have to use your imagination to see this. This is a reality seen with the eyes of our heart. The reality of your life in the context of holy beings and in the context of unholy beings that are in the unseen realm. And it very much matters what we choose to do. A lot of times the Apostle Paul talks about our behavior in respect to the presence of angels. So he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 21. He says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, the elect angels are those who are on the good side. They're on, they're God's angels. They're holy, the elect angels. So let me read it again. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. In other words, what he's saying to Timothy is, look, God Christ Jesus, you're in the sight of God, you're in the presence of God, you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, the King, and you're in the presence of his holy angels. So in his presence, in their presence, make sure that you don't disobey these commandments. Keep this charge. It matters. It matters to them. It matters to Christ. It matters to God. 
Don't lose sight of the stage that the drama of your life is on. Now, in our next episode, I'm going to talk about how this reality related to Jesus and his life and his prayer life. But today, I just want to focus on what we're seeing here in Psalm 89, that that in the context of our worship, in the context of our prayer, we see our praise in the presence of the spiritual world as well, that our praise is part of this spiritual drama. When I praise God out loud with my mouth, I'm joining the holy angels who are praising God before his presence. And... I'm praising God in the presence of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. They don't like my praise. They want me to not praise. They want me to focus on distractions. But when I praise God aloud with my mouth, they hear it. And I'm declaring my faith and I'm declaring my allegiance to Jesus as my king. I'm declaring my allegiance to Yahweh as my God. And I'm declaring that no being in the heavenly realm compares to Yahweh, compares to the I am, the one who is the source of all existence, the one who is the giver of all life, including these spiritual beings. And many of them are in rebellion against him, and that drama is still unfolding. And we are inside that drama. We are inside that war. And what we do matters, and our allegiance to Yahweh matters, and our declaration of our allegiance to him matters. And there is a power that is unleashed in our lives when we praise God out loud with our mouth. And so that's what this verse says in verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of Yahweh forever with my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. These are things I declare with my mouth. God's steadfast love his faithfulness forever. And this is a forever story that my life is in. So when I pray, we pray, Oh Yahweh, you, we are in your presence, the presence of the God who created all that exists, the presence of the God who is the giver of all life, and the presence of the I am who is always 100% present with me, with us. You are present with me, always present with me. There is never a time that you are not 100% present with me. And there is never a time that you are not 100% focused on me without being any less focused or present anywhere else because you are infinite. And so I praise your wonders, O Lord. I praise your wonders as the I am the creator of the entire universe and the creator of the heavens, this spiritual realm that I know so little about. But your faithfulness is there too. Your steadfast love and your power is there too in the assembly of the holy ones, these spiritual beings that are the elect angels, these cherubim and seraphim and angelic beings that are powerful, that oversee your creation on your behalf in some way that I don't understand. You have made us a little lower than the angels, and yet you have crowned us with glory and honor, according to Psalm 8, that there is this destiny you have for humanity. And I want to be faithful to that role. I want to be faithful to who you have made me in Christ, a co-heir with Christ, and I will co-rule with Christ as my king. 
And even now in my life, I want to serve you with faithfulness, trusting in your steadfast love for me, trusting in your faithfulness to me, trusting in your presence in my life, trusting that my life is part of this bigger story that is even bigger yet than I had any idea because of the drama that is taking place and that you want me to be faithful in the sight of your angelic beings and you want me to be faithful in the sight of those who are rebelling against you in the spiritual realm to declare your praise, to declare your steadfast love and your faithfulness, to live a life of trust in you that Yahweh is faithful and I trust in your faithfulness. I declare with my mouth that you are the one worthy of my worship. Nothing and no one compares with you. Nothing and no one compares with your glory and your steadfast love and your beauty and your power and your faithfulness, and your righteousness. And so I want to live a life of trust in you. I want to give honor and glory to you with my life. I want to give honor and glory to you with my mouth. And I want to show all the spiritual beings who are watching that you are trusted, that you are faithful, that your promises can be trusted, that your goodness can be trusted, that your will can be trusted that your path is the path of life and joy and satisfaction and honor and glory and the blessings of your kingdom. You are a God who is to be feared in the counsel of your holy ones, feared among the angelic beings and feared by me, that I would stand in awe of you, the God of glory. Nothing and no one compares with you. You are awesome above all who are around you. You are awesome above all the gods in the spiritual realm. You are the true God. You are Yahweh, the creator. Everything else is made by you, comes from you. You are Lord, God of hosts, and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your restoration will come, and I want to be part of it now. Your resurrection will come, and I trust in the risen one now, Christ my King. I live in light of your resurrection. I live in light of your power. I live in light of your glory, in light of your presence, of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, because you have promised forever the reign of the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of David, forever. His throne is established forever. His love will rule upon the earth. He has already risen from the dead. And forever, that is the story I want my life to be in, to stand in awe of you, to live in the awesomeness of your presence and the awesomeness of your beauty and the awesomeness of your goodness and the awesomeness of your steadfast love and your faithfulness and your righteousness. And so today, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today, I will walk in the good works that you have already prepared beforehand for me to walk into because I am newly created in Christ Jesus. Today, I stand with you. I bow to you. With my mouth, I give praise to you and declare my allegiance to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.